Hello, and welcome to the Halachos and Practicalities of Hanukkah podcast. This is Del Foxbrenner, and I'm here with my wife, Rivka Foxbrenner. Say hello. Hi. And I convinced her to come on the air with me, or on the recording with me, because um, we're going to get some very valuable insights, both in terms of the very common questions that are asked in Halacha, and in terms of the very common questions that are asked uh, practically in dealing with the halacha and in keeping the halacha in a way that works for everybody, uh, for the family, and for all situations, for many situations. So the structure of this recording is going to feature three basic topics, and then within those topics, we'll get into some subtopics. The three basic topics that we hope to cover are, number one, candle lighting times. When is the proper time to light, the appropriate time to light, and what to do when that doesn't work. Uh, number two, uh, we're going to talk about presents, um, the concept of giving presents, and if that's if, what the sources might be, and if that's the right thing to do, and how to go about it. And topic number three is traveling uh, on Hanukkah, and what to do about hadlakas neiros, lighting candles when one is traveling. Those are the three main topics, and most of the questions that have been posed for this recording and that we get just in general around this time of year, I think can fit into one of those three categories. Okay? Okay, so she's nodding. So, yes. <laughs> so um, let's start with some questions. You wanna read some questions that we got? Okay, these are all questions that have to do with the proper time for candlelighting and surrounding concerns. Number one, if my husband doesn't come home from work until 7.30 or later, what is the correct time for us to light? What if my little kids go to sleep before he gets home? Question two. I know that women are not supposed to do work for half an hour after candle lighting. If this is supposed to help me connect to and enjoy the mitzvah, it actually does the exact opposite. I am stressed while sitting there, unable to make dinner and move homework and bedtime along. Question three. Should I insist that my kids come home to light with us as soon as my husband gets home? And question four. I've learned the ideal times to light, especially when there is school and homework to be done. These times seem very difficult. Okay, so these are four separate questions surrounding the topic of what time, what time is the best time to light? And um, included in that is... Um, the idea, the minhag, to not do malacha, to do perform work before the ideal time to light, and what happens when the ideal time is not the ideal time. So um, I, I'm not going to answer all four of them in exact detail, but let me start by giving a general background to this halacha. It's interesting, the development of the halacha is interesting, and understanding the background always gives a great appreciation for the halacha. So I will start with a general uh, overview. So when it comes to lighting the Hanukkah candles, um, there are two parts that we have to figure out. Number one, when is the best time to start lighting Hanukkah candles? And number two, uh, how far does that time extend? Uh, or how long should the candles be lit? Also goes into the same equation. So the Gemara says that, this is where it starts from, the Gemara in Shabbos says that you have to light candles, Mishatishka hachama, which means when the sun goes down, until foot traffic leaves the marketplace. That's the direct translation. So both parts of that statement, both halves, the first half, when the sun goes down, and 
until foot traffic leaves the marketplace, both need defining. What does it mean when the sun goes down? When the sun goes down, um, in halacha can mean shkia, uh, that sunset, or it can mean seis, which is nightfall. It could mean either one. And indeed, um, the major shitos harishonim, uh, the major opinions of early authorities, follows along both of those, meaning you know, those who say it means shkia and those who say it means seis. So that's our first area that needs greater clarity as far as what the halacha is for us. Uh, number two is, um, and wh while I'm talking about the earliest time to light, let me just mention a question I get all the time. We're talking now about the ideal time to light, the ideal earliest time to light. Um, when is the absolute earliest time a person may light, that he is allowed, to, he or she is allowed to light the, shah, the Hanukkah candles? That is from a time called Plag, Plag Mincha, which is an hour and a quarter uh, before the end of the day. And now here in Atlanta for the coming week, for the week of Hanukkah, it's about 4.30. So that's the earliest time. So if you're going to be leaving your house, uh, going on a trip or whatever, the best time, the best thing to do is to make sure that you leave after that time. Really, you should leave after the time that you're supposed to light, but the earliest time would be at 4.30 or so. So that's just a side point. I hope I didn't distract you. Uh, so getting back to the main ideal time to start lighting. So we said it's either shkia or tzais, um, either sunset or nightfall. And aside from that, because of the various opinions as to when that is, and the other opinions that fall in between, our contemporary postgame have other uh, times in between that period that's the ideal time to light. For example, the Chazanish held that you should light 20 minutes after Shkia, so kind of catching the time in between those two. Ramosha Feinstein held for various reasons to light 10 minutes after Shkia. Uh, some of the reasoning behind that is to ensure that the candles are visible. If you light right at Shkia, uh, as the sun is going down, it's not really dark yet, the candles aren't as visible, therefore it's better to light a bit later. That's one of the many reasons given for lighting a drop later. But Moshe said 10 minutes, the Chaznish said 20 minutes, um, and there are all sorts of numbers in between. I could rattle them all off, but I don't think they want to hear that, do they? No. No, okay, okay, I'm going to go a little faster. <laughs> so uh, that's all the, the beginning time. So bottom line is, they, they are, there are those who light at Shkia, those who light at Stace, but Moshe Feinstein held that the best time is 10 minutes after Shkia, and I think that makes sense if you can. Um, so here in Atlanta, what that means is Shkia is about 5.30, so 5.33 to be exact. That would put the ideal lighting time to be at 5.45. I believe that's the ideal time here in Atlanta. Those who have and therefore are coming home necessarily after that time, just light as soon as you can when you get home. That's the ideal time to light. Now. There's a second fact that I mentioned before, which is time to light is until foot traffic leaves the marketplace. Um, as an aside, I'll mention the Chedusha Rim says that is a, is a remez, it's a hint to how we're supposed to approach Hanukkah. Regel, uh, the, the word hergel, which means something that you get used to, has the same shorish, the same root as the word regel. So he interprets regel means that you get rid of Hergel from your life. You get rid of the everyday, uh, worn out, same old, same old attitude towards life and towards Yiddishkeit. And that's one of the uh, messages behind Hanukkah. That's how we interpret that Gemara. But the halacha part of it, foot traffic in the marketplace. So, how long is that? Um, there are two ways of understanding this. The Rambam understands this doesn't mean 
how long the candles must burn. What it means is the amount of time that the candles must burn. Meaning, you don't have to have the candles going until the foot traffic leaves the marketplace. Rather, what, that, what that's describing is the amount of time it must burn. In those days, in the days of Chazal, it was about a period of a half hour from Tzais, according to the Rambam, until the time that the foot traffic left the marketplace was about a half hour. And therefore, candles have to burn for one half hour, no more and no less, according to the Rambam. Others, and most Rishonim, hold that what it means is, as it sounds, you have to have the candles burning for as long as people are milling about outside. So does that follow the way it was set up in the times of Chazal? Um, that's how we determine how long the candle should be lit for? Or does that get extended nowadays? So if you are from New York, um, <laughs> then the city that never sleeps, the candle lighting time would, according to this opinion, be extended much later. If you're from Atlanta, then <laughs> well said. Then the the candle lighting time would be much shorter. In New York, the city never sleeps; it goes all night. Here in Atlanta, it's uh, much earlier than that. What time did you say that is? Six. Six, maybe five. I'm just kidding. No, that's what that's what time we're done. <laughs> Um, no, but it's, it's, it, is, it would be significantly earlier. But that's still a question. Do we go with the way Chazal set it up, um, with the times that were around, the, the times of Chazal, or does that get extended? So that's why there's a lot of, um, a lot of different, differing opinions as to how long that is. So now, let's get to... Wait, so when you say that means how long, how late you can possibly even start to like... Yeah, meaning not according to the Rambam. That's no, the first opinion that I mentioned. How, how late you can light. Meaning, so if, you miss, if you miss that ideal time that I said before, which is 5.45, or if you hold it... And the time you can push it till is until right. people are around. Until, right, as long as people are around. Okay, so let's, so that covers the sugya, more or less. The bottom line is, you should try to light it about, here in Atlanta, at about 5.45 or so, and you have to keep it burning for a half hour past the later time, because the Rambam, remember, said it needs to be a half hour. So we try to cover our basis, have it burning for a half hour past the standard later time, which is six. So it starts at 5.45, and you have it burning, have enough oil that it burns until a half hour past six, which here in Atlanta, says next week is going to be about 6.10, so you have it burning until 6.40. So it's about an hour worth of oil. Most of the standard cups have that much. Uh, the smaller candles actually don't, usually. Um, it's better to get bigger candles to use oil or, and that way you ensure they last from 545 until about 640 but this is not set in stone okay so this woman from the first question her husband doesn't get home until 730 so what's the right time so he should time? really come home earlier okay he doesn't come home until <laughs> 730 okay so uh, I said that, that was kind of a half joke if possible if you can get out of the office earlier and get home earlier and beat Atlanta traffic which is really easy to do especially if you walk home. Um, <laughs> but I realize that's not most people's situation. So yeah, try to get home earlier if you can't. So then what do you do? So there are two opinions in halacha about this. Do you have the family light earlier um, on time? Meaning that light, we'll call, which we're, we are calling for our purposes the 545 slot. And then um, that's one option. Uh, or do you wait for the husband or the wife, whoever is delayed, to come home? That's one half of the question if you if you answer the first way which there are posts who rule that way that it's better to light on time 
And not only that, but when you light on time, the light candlelighting in the home um, is motzi. It fulfills the obligation for somebody who is not at home. So that let's say the husband is at, away at 7.30. So if the family would light at 5.45, then when the husband comes out at 7.30 and he finds the candles around, if the, on, a flame, is that how you say that? I don't know. <laughs> so so uh, he, he was Yotze. I think burning. With it. Okay, that's even better. He was Yotze at 45 with his family, and now he gets home, and, uh, and that's it. Um, there is a, this guy, he probably should say Berchus Rowan, which is beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, and that's for two reasons. One, because it's beyond the scope. And second of all, because the, the way that um, I usually paskin, based upon the precedent set before me by my Rebbeim, is that we should wait. That the family should wait for the husband or the wife. The family should be lighting uh, together. So even though you're missing that ideal time, or even the ideal window that we said, 545 to 640, you should wait. It's important. It's important to have the whole family together uh, to light Together, it also sends messages of kibbutz, and that you know that Tati, Abu, Daddy, Papa, Pops counts, and that we're waiting for him, and that we or mommy or mommy or mom or mama or Bima. yeah uh, that that they that they count, and the family needs to be together, and uh, and that's that's a that's a beautiful way of going about fulfilling this mitzvah. What if um, what so? Bottom line, let me just repeat yes. that: there are those who will tell you that you should light earlier. And, um, and the husband is Yotze with that. The way I usually paskin is that the family should wait until everybody is comfortably at home, ready to light together. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, the, there, there's, a, a, there's a good story, there's, a, there's, a, there's an important story um, that is brought in Halachas Farm. Usually Halachas Farm don't feature stories. This is an exception. The story is told of the great Chafetz Chaim. People ascribe it to him. It wasn't him. He was visiting his Rebbe, whose name was Rav Nachumka. We know very little about him, except that he was the Chafetz Chaim story. And what I know about him is this story. And the story goes that the Chafetz Chaim was visiting his Rebbe on Hanukkah, and it came time for the ideal time to light, Shki or Tzais, whichever one it was. And Rav Nachumka did not light the Hanukkah candles. And the Chafetz Chaim uh, retells the story later. He was very surprised. His Rebbe, Rav Nachumka, was medactic in halacha. He was extremely meticulous and scrupulous. Every little detail of halacha, he wouldn't have missed one minute. And they waited and waited. And uh, a while later, Rebetzin Nachumka, I don't know her name, her wife came home, his wife came home. And uh, then that's when he said, okay, time to light. They got, they got together and they lit the Hanukkah candles. And the Chavetz Chaim asked his Rebbe about this later. Why was it that you waited? And his Rebbe said, it's based upon the Gemara and Shabbos. The Gemara says that when, you, when you're unable to fulfill both Neros Hanukkah and Neros Shabbos, um, to light the Shabbos, Shabbos candles and the Hanukkah candles, which one do you do? And the Gemara says uh, that Neros Shabbos is adif, that Neros Shabbos is, takes precedence. And the reason for that is because the idea of Neros Shabbos is that it represents and it promotes and shows the importance of Shalom Bayis, of having a peaceful, tranquil, happy home. And... Um, the Gemara, according to Rav Nachumka, is also telling us that when it comes to lighting Hanukkah candles, we have to make sure that it's done in a way where the pre- where having a peaceful, ha- happy uh, home is uh, is is taken into into uh, strong consideration. And and the, the way I'm saying it is that's the most important factor, not more important than the mitzvah itself. But if you can get both in, that's the way to go. Okay. 
Um, what if my little kids go to sleep before he gets home? So if your little kids are capable of lighting, if they're old enough that they can light, or you're uh, comfortable having them light, um, and you can assist them, having in mind not to be outside the candles now, then you should light with the little kids on time. Have them light at 5.45. You're bringing in Hanukkah evening with, at, at, at the ideal time, and you're showing them the importance of lighting, and, and let them light and explain to them that you're going to light when Tatiana, Daddy, Papa comes home later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about the idea of the malacha for women? Um, okay, so the actually the very first, if the first section of Hilchas Hanukkah um, talks about this. And the Shulchan Aruch itself brings this minhad, which it doesn't often do, um, that women should not be performing malacha, that's labor, you know, uh, malacha made famous by Shabbos and Yatav, um, before the uh, uh, for a half hour while the candles are lit and there are two reasons given for this one reason is given in the Mishnah Bura um, which is that we have to remember as we say in Haneros Halalo that these Neros these candles are Kodesh Hain the Ein Lan Rishus we don't have permission to use them but we just can look at them and see their, their, their symbolism and appreciate what they mean. They're not for us to use for our own purposes. The example given in Halacha is that you shouldn't be counting your money in front of the Hanukkah candles. Um, yeah, okay, so you can all uh, find other ways of counting your money. And, uh, or don't have any, and then you have to count any. <laughs> so the, um, that's, that's one reason why you shouldn't do Malacha, why there's a minhug not to perform malacha at the time that the candles are lit for that first half hour. I'm not referring to the extra half hour that I talked about earlier. This is just the first half hour. That's what the minig is. The second reason given is because haneros halalu kodesh heng, because these neros are kodesh, they're holy, to remind us that Hanukkah, even though we go to work and even though we do malacha throughout the course of Hanukkah, to remind us of the special holiness and sanctity and the deep spiritual messages that are that are uh, latent in the days of Hanukkah, so we are asked to refrain from getting ourselves distracted just for the first half hour after the candles are lit. That's where it, that's the second reason as to why, how this minute came about. Specifically for women? The minute is specifically for men. And Mishaburu does bring that there are some men, there are some places where men have that minute also. I have that minute, that way I get it of all housework. Uh-huh. Um, but no, the, the minig is predominantly and prevalently just for women, and the reason is because women have an extra special connection to Hanukkah that men don't have. Women, uh, there was a the, uh, the champion, um, the heroine Yehudis, was uh, instrumental in the victory at the time of Hanukkah, and um, and we also know that whenever there's a geula, whenever there's a salvation for Klal Yisrael. Um, it's the of the Nashim Sidkanius, like it happened in Mitzrayim and other times in Klaiswell, that women are uh, extremely important and a driving force behind that experience of Geula, of redemption. And, um, and therefore, women have a special connection to Hanukkah. And that's why it's just them who are, um, who are given this privilege to be Noheg, to follow this Minhag, to not do Malacha during that half hour period after the candles are lit. Um, you're supposed to ask me what what type of malacha. What so to find malacha? Okay, thank, good question. The malacha that we're referring to doesn't mean like malacha of Shabbos or Yantif. You can cook, you can turn on lights, you can load the dishwasher. There are plenty of things you can do. 
what the minhag is includes is not uh, so. It's like the malacha that's aser on chalamoy, not sewing and not doing laundry, uh, not ironing. Those are the the malachas that are included, but cooking and taking care of things um, are mutter. That's fine. There's no minhag against that. However, the idea of the minhag is to try to set up a time that you are just paying attention to the neiros, to the messages of Hanukkah, and to your family. So even though yes, you can do housework, there's not go, it's not going against the minhag, but at the same time, that's not really going with the spirit of the minhag. But I'm supposed to say something else. Right, but yeah, uh, this is a very important point. We talked about the minhag, we talked about the reasons for it and why it's special for women and the idea behind the minhag. But if your house is flying and things are crazy and by taking on this minhag, uh, even, the, the, even with the extra definition we just gave, uh, is going to put you in a bad mood and stress you out and make you unable to appreciate and in, enjoy Hanukkah, so then there is, there is room for leniency. Um, and uh, and it's important to know that this minhag is not just it's not just this uh, this this law that was put in place that you just can't do malacha. The idea is that we should be able to feel the and appreciate the Hanukkah spirit and what it means to light candles and appreciate the Kaddish Baruch Hu's good that He bestows upon us. And if all you're thinking is how do I get out of this and this is terrible, so then that, then there is room for leniency even in the minhag itself. So if you desperately need to do laundry. <laughs> During that time, then uh, please give me a call and we'll talk about it because there is room for leniency. Okay. okay, so that is the topic of when to light Hanukkah candles. We talked about the ideal time. We talked about some uh, some of the exceptions when someone's coming home late. And now I'm going to turn it back to you, Mrs. Fonspinner, uh, to talk about how to deal with those um, stressful situations that are inevitable. For some reason, Chazal picked bedtime uh, to be the time that we, we light Hanukkah candles and what, what do you do when it's just very, very difficult and, and the house is uh, flying and people are unable to focus and get ready on time. Okay, so this is a situation where, as you mentioned, there is uh, room to move around the ideal time and therefore there's a balance between doing it at the ideal time and making it nice for the family. So let's step back and look at what we're trying to accomplish and have a perspective on it in order to strike a good balance. Um, we are not choosing on the one side between doing it at the ideal time, i.e. the halacha, and making it nice, i.e. our kids. Meaning sometimes we feel that um, this is the right time to do it for my family and my kids, and the other time is the right time to do it the halacha, so, you know, I'm, try I'm choosing between them. Or can I bend the halacha for the sake of my children and my family? But that's not really what you're choosing between. And the reason is because when things are not perfect and we do things, um, meaning as far as my family set up, this is not the time that I would choose to do this like write perfectly when everyone is done with homework and baths, etc., and ready to go to sleep, and we could just have a nice, you know, 15, 20, half an hour period to spend together. 
but I do it at the time that's ideal halachically, um, our children can have an uplifting educational experience anyway because they see that we prioritize our commitment to halacha and are happy to do so. So we might not be giving them the exact picture that we wanted, meaning everyone is calm and everything has already been taken care of. As mothers, we have a tendency to want to take care of everything first and then you know, do whatever is different or extra for the day. But we see, they see that we're prioritizing um, the mitzvah. And that is something that they're gaining. And if you think about it, this makes a lot of sense because what was the purpose of giving them that ideal, calm, collected, nice family time? The purpose of that was to give them a positive association with the mitzvah and connecting them to Torah and mitzvot. And that's exactly what we've done when we lit at the time that was halachically ideal and at the time that was perfectly convenient for me. Um, but obviously we would like to have both and in order to do that, um, just to suggest practically, that um, we try to plan in advance a little bit rather than sticking band-aids on at the time. Now some situations are set you know, Tati doesn't get home till a certain time, Daddy, whatever, doesn't get home till a certain time, the kids' bedtimes, etc. But a lot of situations can be worked with, like hungry children or bored or uninterested ones. We spend so much time in general about Inyans, Anyans, if usually more than Hanukkah, but even Hanukkah, preparing and cooking and physical preparations. So, Let's take a fraction of that time and energy and prepare ourselves mentally and physically to make Hanukkah easier for us and more enjoyable for everyone, ourselves and our children. Not fancier, not picture or Instagram ready, but actually more enjoyable. So I'm not talking about actual presence, but to have something around at candlelighting time that makes it more interesting and engaging and enjoyable for our children. Like a game or like having easier dinners because there is more to do when it's Yantif and having easier dinners or dinners that are more portable, finger food, something healthy for them to eat before. So because for some reason, Kathleen is always exactly at dinner time. Just preparing ourselves in order that it time, goes smoothly. They're going to get confused. And now, most people's children do not go to sleep at 5.40. So with that dinner time, um, preparing ourselves in a way that um, it can be done at that time in an ideal sense. Not everyone is amazing at planning in advance. Not everyone can put up their crockpot dinner before they leave for work in the morning. But usually, if you think in advance, you can think of something to get rid of the negatives, meaning the hunger, etc., have something prepared for that, but also including the positives, meaning I know my children, what will make this enjoyable and engaging for them at whatever time it is. My husband has something nice that he likes to do, which is? Um, I um, try. It doesn't happen every day, but at some point over the course of, of, uh, of a day of Hanukkah, I'll try to think of a story or a question 
or just something, something small that um, that brings the kids out, or brings the whole family out to uh, to discuss and to think about something um, that has to do with Hanukkah. For example, I'll give you a very very simple example. Uh, last year, I remember this. Last year was the first time I decided to do this. There's the classic question about Hanukkah, the Hanukkah question, the Beis Yosef's Kasha, which is why is Hanukkah eight days? Really, it should be seven days because the miracle was only seven days. We had the oil for one full day. That's the classic Hanukkah question. Everybody has heard that question. And that's true, everyone has heard that question. But that doesn't mean that everyone has, has had the chance to talk about it, especially not if you're six years old. So uh, I asked that question and I said, you know, whoever gets the best answer, whoever gives the best answer is going to get, you know, some coins, uh, some Hanukkah chocolate coins, which you have to have. For somebody, I don't know where that came from, but you have to have it. So Hanukkah Gelt, okay, we'll talk about that soon. But um, it, it, and I, all the kids like jumped up with different answers, either that they heard or some of them made up answers. And, and obviously, there were seven best answers. Every, yeah, of course, everyone won. You know, the competition was was fabricated, but uh, that was it's it, it's just a great little tool. It doesn't happen every day. You know, you shouldn't feel pressure to do it uh, when you can't, but just to take a half a minute to think of something that you already know and just to either talk about it or ask questions really helps a lot. Okay. Um, one more point, which is our kids form their memories based on how we react and how we behave. So very often times that we want to look a certain way, don't work out that way, no matter how much we prepare. And even if we think that they're at the ideal time, how much more so when it's not necessarily at the ideal time. And um, we have to keep that in mind because if things don't go perfectly smoothly, but we are still enjoying doing the mitzvah and we keep our cool and we behave well. So even the child having the tantrum remembers that tomorrow much more than he remembers whatever he was upset about or his hunger or the fact that for some reason none of his friends are letting cancels right now and they're all outside so when we remain calm and we enjoy and we partake in the mitzvah in a positive way that leaves a an indelible impression on our children okay let's move on to our next topic and uh, again if anybody has any specific questions or follow-up suggestions or tips that uh, we can pass forward or we can use ourselves please feel free to call text us contact us however you can um, okay, so the next topic is Hanukkah presents. Um, should I, I should read the questions first and then you'll give a background? Yeah, please. Okay, please. questions. And um, I actually got more than this, but I think that these three cover almost everything. Um, question one, how do you handle gift giving if you don't want your kids to get a lot, in parentheses, or really any, presents on Hanukkah, but grandparents love to send multiple presents, even when asked politely to tone down gift giving? How do you impart the lesson that Hanukkah is not about presents when that is a big part of their reality? Question two, what is your hashkafa on Hanukkah presents? Outlook on Hanukkah presents. For grandparents and aunts and uncles, they shower my kids with presents. I am having a hard time not feeling in competition with them. I don't want them to feel that they only get things from their grandparents and rich aunts and uncles. I want them to feel that their parents also get them things. But I see that by the end of Hanukkah, they are spoiled. Question three, last year we were with my family for Hanukkah and I saw that my kids were terribly spoiled by the end. Should I avoid spending Hanukkah with my family? Okay, <clears throat> so let's talk for a few minutes 
about the general topic of presence, and then Mrs. Foxman is going to tell us what to do. So, <laughs> so the uh, the uh, I recently came across a letter um, where somebody had asked one of my rebbeim, Rabbi Usher Weiss in Israel, um, if giving Hanukkah presents is wrong. Actually, the way it was phrased, if it was Usher, if it's prohibited under the prohibition of Chukos Hagoyim. This is the time of year that a lot of people give presents. And, uh, I mean, a lot of not people who are not necessarily Jewish give presents. And because of that, it kind of feels weird. It feels like Hanukkah presents is just a, a Jewishified version of something that the non-Jews do. And it may be. Um, and, but what Rav Osher Weiss answered was that, first of all, it does not fall under the strict prohibition of Chukos Hagoyim, of uh, following the ways of the non-Jews, because that is specifically referring to um, chukim, which is uh, customs that don't really have a, a good explanation for no plain logical reason. It's a machlok as we showed him, but that's the way he, he, um, he formulated it. And giving Hanukkah presents um, does have um, some roots and sources, and it does have um, some logic to it. Um, so one thing that he pointed out was that there are those who understand that the reason why Hanukkah is eight days, uh, a reason why Chazal picked eight days, is because they were um, learning it from the, our longest yomtiv. Our longest yomtiv is Sukkot, including Shemini Yatzeris, that's eight days. So that's a time of simcha, a time of happiness. There's a mitzvah to buy presents for your family before yomtiv. And um, just like during uh, Yom Tovim, during uh, Sukkot time, and other Yom Tovim, we buy presents to to enhance appreciation of Yantif, to realize it's an extra special time, to realize it's a time that we have special things that uh, Hashem gave us and that we give each other. Um, and therefore, it has that, that root. This is the first time I heard that idea, but it's a very, 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 um, it's a nice idea and also speaks to the idea, the Jewish idea of presence. Um, another possible source for this actually comes from Vizmogin Avram, one of the most important commentaries on Shulchan Aruch, who brings that in the in the uh, there was a time when um, Ani, uh, during Hanukkah when Aniyim when poor people went around collecting during that time um, and apparently it was because people gave during that time not only did people go around con- collecting but the Magen Avram says that Ne'arim Aniyim young children uh, went around collecting as well so. This is, these are some of the shrashim, some of the roots of the concept of giving on Hanukkah. The Primagadim explains why Hanukkah might be a special time to give a tzedakah. He cites that the Greeks issued decrees, uh, all sorts of decrees, and he cites a source that they issued decrees specifically against Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasadim, the three pillars of the world. Learn, learning Torah, uh, Avodah, which nowadays is davening, prayer, and Gemilas Chasadim, which is charity. So therefore, on Hanukkah, we specifically strengthen ourselves in those three areas. We increase in Torah study, at least we should. Um, our davening is enhanced by Hallel, by Alanisim, and we also should be giving tzedakah, being conscious of the importance of giving tzedakah during this time of year. So this kind of took shape and you know uh, came out in a different form, which is, not giving tzedakah, but yes, giving tzedakah, in addition to that, giving presents to our children. This is a giving time of year. So perhaps that's where the concept of presents might have come from within 
um, Jewish sources and from Jewish tradition. Um, it's hard to pinpoint it. There's the idea of getting Hanukkah gelt, uh, which has been around for many generations, which is money. I remember um, there was twice a year that I personally received money from my grandfather who lived in Belgium, and he was a very much the old uh, European Jew in many different ways. And he would send me, he would send me twice a year, he give me he would give me some money, a considerable amount, it's $100 actually, mm-hmm. which that was a lot of candy. Um, and uh, it was on my birthday. And also he would, every year he'd write, um, giving you $100 Hanukkah Geld, G-E-L-D, that's how he spelled it. He wasn't, his English wasn't his first language. And, uh, and so, so there's this idea of, of Hanukkah Geld as perhaps where the coins come from. It's a time of giving, time of Gnilas Chasadim. It has some idea of a yantif. So that's perhaps where some of the ideas of presents come from. However, um, presents have to be Jewish presents and they have to have a Jewish feeling to them. What do I mean by that? So there's a beautiful... Um, uh, two weeks ago, we read that Yaakov Avino uh, went back um, over the uh, over the river, uh, and that's when he met Sarosho Esav, and he had a battle, and he went back to get Hachim Katanim, to get these small jugs. The Gemara says, from here we see, that when it comes to righteous people, their physical possessions, their property is more precious to them than their bodies. So what does that mean? I'm not going to uh, spell out the whole thing, but the, there's a concept that um, tzaddik and righteous people appreciate physical things. I would think that would be the opposite. The more righteous a person, the more spiritual he is, the less he appreciates physical things, the less he cares about physical things. And the idea is that when you, are, um, when you have the right perspective, then physical things are actually spiritual things. That was why Yaakov Avinu found it so important to go back and get his little jugs because Hashem gave him those little pachim, those little jugs. And the, uh, the Shla says that the pachim, the, those jugs of Yaakov Avinu were the precursor to the pachim of the pach of, uh, of Shemen that was found during uh, the Hanukkah miracle. So it sounds like you know, what's the connection? It's just a word. Yaakov Avinu went back for pachim. The shemen, the oil that was found, was in a pach, was in a jug. Is it just a play on words? I think that there's something deeper here. That just like Yaakov Avinu appreciated all of his physical possessions, even the smallest ones, Hanukkah is a time that we appreciate having that, finding that one little jug and the miracle that ensued based upon our appreciation and our halav and our, and our shevach, our praising of Hashem. So... So it's halavelda. It's thanking Hashem, appreciating each and everything that we have, and recognizing that every little thing that we have is, um, and it, it represents an opportunity to use that thing in the service of Hashem. So that would be an appropriate message to get across, along with a Hanukkah present, if that's your minhag. I am not advocating adopting giving Hanukkah presents if that's not what you've done until now. But what I am saying is that if you are going to give Hanukkah presents there might be some Jewish roots to it, and you can make it uh, have Jewish roots by showing your children that this is because A, it's a special time of year, and B, that we should learn from the, the present to appreciate every little thing that Hashem gives us as an opportunity to serve Him uh, further. So that's some of the general idea of giving presents. Let's get back to some of the specific questions that you had. 
Okay, so I just want to focus on some of the details given within the questions. Um, one thing was, they shower my kids with presents. I'm hard, having a hard time not feeling competition with them. I don't want them to feel that they only get things from them, but also they get things from us. So um, this is something that I think we all realize intellectually, but in the moment is very hard to remember, which is that your relationship with your children is infinitely deeper than physical gifts. Even so, when someone brings your child a big gift or does it all the time or does it on a regular basis, so sometimes it's difficult when your child right now is very excited by that gift and is hanging on that person and seems, you know, to just be gaga over that person, it's hard to remember at the time. But um, if you think about it and step back for a second, it's silly because your relationship with your child is much deeper and much more real than that. And don't allow yourself to feel threatened by someone else's physical gift. If you do, and if you do feel that way, the answer is not to compete with them, but really just to strengthen your relationship with your child, your actual relationship, not to fight back with presence. Because when you do that, that just degrades the relationship that you have, which is real and meaningful and internal to being about the physical. That's not to say to ever give, never give them presents. Physical gifts are a part of your relationship, but it's so silly for a relationship that is made up of so much more to be threatened by such a thing. And it's definitely detrimental to get into a gift war. And you're um, not going to win. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that, but then I figured people would be like, yes, So you I might am. as well make yourself feel better by having an internal connection to your children. Exactly. Um... The second thing, which is with regard to the effect that it has on them, which is, again, something that sometimes gets fuzzy in the moment, but I don't know how any parent lives without internalizing this point, which is your children get your values from you. We have to be very careful about what our children are exposed to and who they're influenced by, but we worry so much about other people's influence and other people's influence is infinitesimal compared to ours. So grandma makes Hanukkah about presents and spoils them. If your Hanukkah is about something more and about something deeper, that's what they will get, even if it doesn't look like it right this second. And even more than that, you have the opportunity, if your children know that, which they will know if it's true, that you don't like when they get showered and spoiled with presents and that that's what Hanukkah is made about. If they know that that's true and they see that you respect your parents slash in-laws and their wishes, they will learn way more by your kibbut avayim, by your respect for their grandparents and you leaving it alone and saying thank you, then they will be affected badly by any spoiling that's going on. And again, back to the beginning, only you can spoil your children. Um, a third point that I think that is very important is with regard to the values that do come from you. What is Hanukkah about? You're, you are worried about Hanukkah becoming about presents because that's what's being presented them, to them by others. But what you really should be concerned of, or what we really should be concerned about, what I really should be thinking about is... What am I, what am I feeling with it? Instead of worrying about decreasing the negative, if it comes from other people, 
it would be great if we focused on filling the positive. Just generally in life, it's very difficult to take things away without having something positive to fill that space. So if we don't want it to be around, like you said, about not making about presence, even though that's their reality. So let's work on filling that reality with something something more. Um, And I think that brings us to another time, which is very, um, sorry, to another point, which is very important. Can I make another point? Yeah, we hear the passing notes under the door. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, we have busy lives. Most of us are not sitting and reading a Sefer on Hanukkah, but, which means 30 days before the holiday. But if we want our kids to have an approach to Hanukkah that isn't about latkes and donuts and presents, then we have to have an approach to Hanukkah that's not latkes and donuts and presents. And I'm talking minimal. Coming into Hanukkah with one idea that's internal and spiritually based. And you can really get it from anywhere. Something that you remember from way back when you used to learn a lot. Or... From this podcast. Something. (laughs) Or listen to something that's only five minutes long. Open an English book. Ask a friend of yours who you know is connected in this way to share something with you. Whatever it is, whatever does it for you. But if you go into Hanukkah with just one idea, one thing that's a little bit more spiritual and elevating, it will change your Hanukkah. And you don't even need to share it with your children. But if there is something about Hanukkah that you are immersed in that's more spiritual, they will definitely feel that. So when we talk about filling up our children's spiritual experience in Hanukkah, we also have to focus on filling our own spiritual experience in Hanukkah, and that will definitely overflow. Amen. Okay, just to switch things up at the 45-minute mark, don't get too shocked, but I am going to read the question. Okay, here's the question. Can you please discuss the abundant presence of greasy, fatty foods on Hanukkah? I have a child for whom this is detrimental. Why does it have to be this way? Okay, that's the question. That's the question. Yeah, because it tastes good. Do you want to answer? I no, just it's supposed did. to be about the oil. Oh, the oil thing. <laughs> See, you don't even know why. <laughs> Which leads to my answer. <laughs> okay, let's go straight to your answer. I think everybody knows about the... The oil idea that the Neshemen happened with oil, and therefore we have oily, fatty foods. Well, not fatty, oily foods, which happens to be fatty. Okay, so the question was, why does it have to be this way? And my answer is that it doesn't. So what do I mean by that? You know, despite the fact that um, we find it hard to leave the house because we're glued to our couch and um, all kinds of interesting, entertaining things, we still have a certain FOMO, like a fear of missing out. So what do I mean by that? We have these things in our mind that these are check things that we have to check off our list. On Hanukkah, you have to have this. And in, on, other, on other holidays, it's usually connected to some family thing. You know, I can't go into a suitcase without stuffed cabbage because that's what my grandmother had. And I am going to make everything stressful and annoying for everyone and super tense because I must have that. 
So let's go back to Hanukkah for a second. Um, on Hanukkah, it's not Hanukkah if we don't do X, Y, Z. And unfortunately, that really is true if you don't replace it with something else or something more meaningful. And that's like sad that we've reduced Hanukkah to latkes and sukhaniyot. And I am not belittling a nice Jewish minhag, and it is, it's a nice thing, and this is what Jews do all over the world, and it's be- and it, it can be beautiful. But what is and its purpose? And you can come visit us for the be- best latkes around. Okay. But what is its purpose? Its purpose is our con- to connect ourselves and our children to the happiness, the simcha of the chag, and to remind ourselves as of the miracle, meaning the oil is supposed to remind us of the miracle. So, first of all, there's no mitzvah here. If it works for you, great. It's a springboard for talking about the miracle of oil. It's fun. It's yummy. It's like a, you know, minhag. It's not really a minhag. It's a tradition that we do, and it's a very nice thing. But if it is in any way detrimental, like you don't stop talking about how you can't stop eating the donuts and the latkes and oive on, you know, that, which is definitely detrimental, or you have negativity between one you and one of your children because you don't want them to be partaking in any in something that's not subject to a different podcast then it definitely should not be around and there is nothing to feel bad about or nothing to dwell on in any way and the second point i'd like to make is that maybe it's even an opportunity this is something that we kind of feel bad about not doing so let's be forced to replace this with something else, something that does the job that this is supposed to do in a meaningful way. And again, I'm not saying to needlessly throw out nice Jewish things that people do. It's a very nice thing. But if there is a reason to. So instead of lamenting it, lamenting that there's this Jewish custom which is, doesn't work for me and my family or a member of my family, let's sit down and think of either replace it with another food that can somehow, you know, come up with some kind of simonim play on words of how this connects to Hanukkah or something else. It doesn't have to be a food that you can do over Hanukkah that reminds you of the miracle and makes it festive. And similar to the lighting example, that you think to yourself like, oh, but it's not fair to my kids or to my other kids or to my husband or to me or whatever it is. Just think for a second, like what would your children prefer? A tranquil, relaxed atmosphere in which Hanukkah is a special time that everyone spends together, eats yummy foods, whatever they are, does something together and celebrates a tranquil, in a tranquil, relaxed atmosphere or a donut. I have never met a child that was well-adjusted, grew up in a happy home that looked back with negativity because they didn't get enough oily potatoes. That's just not something that they're going to regret. So if it doesn't work for you, first of all, fine, no problem. And second of all, use it as an opportunity to replace it with something else that is considerate of everyone in your home and that will give this, fulfill the same purpose. And because you had to think of it yourself, it's that much more meaningful and that much more obvious how good it is. And there was just another note slid under the door. <laughs> yeah, so let me ask, uh, let me make a comment and ask a follow-up question if I may. I'm just getting the notes. Are okay, we're good. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, number one, we keep mentioning this tranquil, 
uh, happy uh, home in which everybody is uh, um, all ages from the two-year-old to, to, to parents and grandparents are sitting around the Hanukkah candles and everyone is gazing and sharing Torah ideas and, and having perfectly healthy foods and, and holding hands and swaying and wonderful and singing Maud Sore with that just the right pitch that actually doesn't happen <laughs> so we're talking about an ideal and, 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 and you can come to our house and see that it doesn't always happen that way can I, it can I say that? to other people's houses okay I'm just saying we, we're not not saying that we have it down like to a perfect size by tranquil I meant Nothing super duper negative. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two, uh, so you're talking about coming up with an alternative to latkes. So instead of latkes, we're going to have Hanukkah broccoli. Yay! Because... <laughs> no, but, but my question is, uh, kids, everybody knows Hanukkah, everybody has sufganiyot, and everyone has latkes and coins thrown from a roof. Um, and if we're not going to have that, so then aren't my kids going to be, uh, you know... They're going to be upset. They're going to say, how come everyone else has uh, um, sufganiyot and now I don't? No, don't. they're not going to be upset. That's my point. They might be upset for a second. They won't. Okay, That's it? Sorry. That's the answer? No, no, no. You go ahead. You say an answer. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Well, what if they feel like they're being deprived? Um, it could be that a child will feel deprived temporarily. And therefore, if there isn't a reason to get rid of it, so yes, do everything like everybody else. But if there is a reason to get rid of it, so like everything else, it requires a balance. Meaning, what am I giving up versus what am I gaining? I am not suggesting that everybody change to Hanukkah broccoli. That is not my that is not my point at all. And I'm not telling you to get rid of lakas and sukhanyo because they're not healthy. I'm fine with them. We have them in our house. But there are situations in which they're not appropriate and in which they cause negativity. And in those situations, they are not a mitzvah. You don't have to do them. And not only that, but what I was saying was is that even for the people who do do them, let us use the um, thought of maybe not having them as an opportunity to think to ourselves, are we using to kind of like symbolic physical things to embody our entire approach to Hanukkah. Because if I am forced to replace them with something else, then all of a sudden, because I thought of it and I had to think of a reason, so it becomes more meaningful. But if they do work for you, fantastic. Don't let the latkes away. I'm fine with that. If you have the latkes with applesauce, does it like balance it out? No. Because applesauce is not? No? No. Okay. Uh, sorry. Okay. Um, Next, are we, um, should we move on to the next Yes, traveling. Okay. So this is our final topic uh, for this year. And as I said before, feel free to follow up with us any way you'd like. Uh, the final topic is the, the questions that I get, that I've gotten this year most predominantly. I'll read one. Um, text says, and I'll replace the name, uh, the third night of Hanukkah will find our family in a hotel near Virginia Beach. What do we do about lighting menorahs? Uh, somebody else asked uh, um, just yesterday about um, lighting Hanukkah candles at a wedding where you know, everybody's going to be at a wedding for much of the night and no one's going to have an opportunity to light wherever they're, they're staying or their houses. What do you do there? Okay, I have two questions here. If one spouse takes a red eye, should the other spouse just have them in mind when he or she lights? 
what if you're going to be in a or what if we are going to be in a hotel over Hanukkah and they have restrictions on obviously lighting candles in the room and other such things. Okay. Okay. So the background information on this. Hang on. You're leaving? Mm-hmm. Okay. No one's going to listen anymore. Stay tuned. Keep, keep listening. Is my <laughs> okay. Bye. Um, okay. So I'm going to finish this off in the next five to ten minutes just um, talking about traveling. So the um, first thing to know about traveling, let, let me just answer that red-eye question, meaning the question of the uh, spouse who's taking the red-eye flight, what should they do? Can the person at home be mozi then? The answer is yes. Um, you can, uh, one spouse can light for the other if that spouse is out of town or even coming in late. Um, and um, that is a fine option. As a matter of fact, there's a discussion in the post game. If you have one spouse lighting at home and the other spouse is away, so as we just said, the home spouse's motzi fulfills the obligation for the away spouse, what if the away spouse is in a different time zone? Will that work also? And there are differing opinions there. There's some who say yes, and some who say yes, it works even when the other spouse is in a different time zone. Um, and more than that, when one spouse lights at home, there is a question if the other spouse can light when they get home because they've already fulfilled their obligation. Maybe they can no longer light with a bracha later. Um, can the second spouse who is out, out of, out of the house, can they have in mind not to fulfill their obligation, not to be yotzi with the person lighting at home? It's not very clear. And therefore, um, in that case, most posts can say that the best option is that if you have one spouse who is away, not talking about the red eye, there's another question that we got, which is, um, there's a woman who wrote that she is a married woman traveling alone on Hanukkah, what she should do about candle lighting. The best option is for her to light wherever she is before her family lights at home. Because if she lights after her family lights at home, then there's a chance that she's already fulfilled her obligation, and then she can't light with a bracha where she is. But if she goes first, then she lights where she is, and her family lights in their home later. So that's another great option. But she doesn't have to. She can, if she wants to light, she can light. If she doesn't want to light, she can fulfill her obligation with the lights lit, in, lit at her house. Um, so that's just answering that question about one spouse being away, or one person being away. When it comes to traveling in general, there's uh, one overarching principle, which is that according to virtually all postgame, except perhaps for Tzitzeliezer, Hanukkah candles have to be lit at a home in your house. It doesn't necessarily have to be the house that your permanent residence, but you have to have a house uh, that you are living in in order to light Hanukkah candles. If somebody is homeless or finds themselves traveling, um, they don't have anyone lighting at home, and they have no other options, they are putter. They are exempt from lighting Hanukkah candles because they don't have a home. It's a mitzvah that um, sh literally shines light on the house, and uh, it represents the kedusha of a Jewish home. And if you don't have a home, or don't have a home then, then you are exempt. So now, what about a hotel? The best place to light in a hotel is in your room. Even though there's a discussion in the postgame that Amal talks about, if you have two options to light, you have a home that has two areas. He's talking about we have two homes, one in which you eat and one in which you sleep. Which one is considered to be your main living space? And that's where you light Hanukkah candles. 
and there he says the eating is the main space. Uh, but these halakhas are complicated and they can't be applied just, you know, um, en masse in this recording. So consult with me if that's relevant to your case. But in the case of a hotel, uh, you should be lighting in your room because that's the only area that is really yours, considered to be yours for the duration of the time you're in the hotel. So lighting in the room is the best option. The problem with lighting in the room, however, is that most in most cases there's a fire code and there's some sort of restrictions on lighting in your room and the hotel management doesn't approve and uh, that presents a difficulty. Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach was of the opinion that if you light in a hotel room when you are asked not to, when the hotel management tells you not to, that could be categorized as a mitzvah haba ba'avera, a mitzvah which comes at the expense of um, or, or comes as a result of an avera. And that's not good. In fact, there are some who say that you're not even yotze because you are able to use the room only under the conditions that are set by the hotel. You're renting from them, essentially. And if you don't fulfill the conditions, then you are kind of illegally in that space and it's not your house anyway. So um, lighting when the hotel management doesn't want you to uh, is a serious issue. I have heard of success and I've had people who've asked me this question in the years past. They've had success pleading their case with hotel management, uh, not, with the not with the person at the desk or the receptionist, but going to hotel management and showing them a tea light or uh, a yurtzeit candle and showing that this is for religious purposes, they're going to be lighting this for a grand total of, I don't know, a half hour, 45 minutes, and be watching it the whole time in this very safe environment. They're welcome to come in at any time, and um, there have been plenty of times where the hotel management has acquiesced and allowed this to be lit. That's, that's a great option. You only need to light one. You don't have to light more than one, even though we, on Chanukah or Mahajan, Minna Mahajan, we do the best of the best, and we light one candle per night. The Iker Halacha, the main mitzvah, is just to light one candle. So I know people who travel with a Yurtzai candle throughout Chanukah, and they light, they light it every night, they keep it lit for a half hour or an hour, and then they extinguish it and use it again the next night. That's a fine option as well. If you can't convince them, to allow you to light in your hotel room and you don't have another option and you have no family member at home who's lighting for you, then um, another option is to light using a flashlight. And the type of flashlight that's needed is a flashlight that has an incandescent, an old-style incandescent bulb. And the reason for that is because when the, um, the way it works, the filament is considered to be by some to be ash, to be fire. And therefore you can fulfill your obligation to light Hanukkah candles with an incandescent bulb. However, it's preferable, preferable not to make a bracha because there are those who say you can't. That doesn't work. There's a base Yitzchak and other posts can say it doesn't work. Um, and therefore, that's a good backup option when you need to use it. Uh, somebody texted, um, can I lighten in my car? So there is a uh, recent safer called the Nitek Avril. I saw this quoted. It's, uh, he writes that you can lighten your car provided it's big enough to be a halachic house. A halachic house, a halachic room, is a measure of 10 tfachim tall, which uh, for our purposes we'll call about three feet tall, um, by, te by four amos wide, which we'll call about six feet. So if it's three feet by six feet, it could be considered a halachic room, a halachic house for Hilfus Mezuzah, and for this also, according to this opinion. So it depends on the size of your car. Our car, or tank, as some people call it, 
and uh, is of, often the subject of attention, uh, is definitely big enough. Maybe some min- minivans are. So it depends. That's according to that opinion halacha. However, I believe the more um, accepted opinion halacha is that a car is not a house, and therefore don't doesn't really help to light Hanukkah candles in your car. Is there anything wrong with it? No. If you're traveling throughout the night and you don't have an opportunity to light anywhere else and no other options, then lighting in your car, especially with a flashlight, um, is an option. I mean, it could be that it works, and therefore, why not? But I don't believe that that is a lechatchila. Uh, I don't think that's the best way to go about it, uh, lighting in your car. So I see now on the screen here that we've passed the one-hour mark, and I'm going to wrap things up. So in this podcast, you heard the halachas and practicalities of uh, three different areas, the time, the time to light, uh, Hanukkah presents, and what to do when traveling. I hope this has been, been beneficial for you. Um, we ask for your feedback. If this is a format that works, um, then we'd be happy to try it out for future Yom Tovim and uh, future subjects. Um, and uh, please continue to send us your questions. And uh, everybody should, the Zoha should merit to have a wonderful, light-filled holiday in Gashmias and in Ruchnias in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Happy Hanukkah.